HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila. Handcrafted, expert approved, with over 20 international blind tasting awards. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a senior producer at the Feed Feed, and I will be co-hosting today with my lovely co-worker, food editor, Andrea Loretta Mola. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the Feed Feed Podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspiration, and also get some of their best cooking tips. I'm very excited today to be joined by Rodrigo Fernandini, a.k.a. at Rodrigo Fernandini on social media. Rodrigo is a Peruvian chef, content creator, recipe developer, and soon-to-be New York City restaurant owner. At his new restaurant, he says they will be marrying traditional Peruvian flavor and ingredients with modern techniques. And my co-host, Andrea, is Peruvian as well, so I'm excited to have the whole gang here to chat all things Peruvian food. I'm so excited to have you here, Rodrigo. Thank you. How's it going, guys? Super excited to be here. Um, thank you for taking me. and Can't wait to chat and learn more about you guys and share this amazing project. Yay. So, Andrea, I will let you kick things off. I know you have a lot of burning questions for our friend Rodrigo here. Oh, well, thanks, Lex. Well, thanks for the intros. And Rodrigo, we're super excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I've been following you for a couple of months now, and I love all of your content. And I always, I'm always so excited to see new Peruvian content creators. Um, so I just want to start off by asking you a few questions about where you grew up and what interested you and like what inspired you to start cooking, you know, and just, you know, let us know. Well, Andrea, before I answer all that, I wanted to say that it's two-way street. I'm a huge fan of your content in social media. I love all the lighting that you use and how you develop your recipes. I'm actually learning a lot from you. So thank you so much for all your advice and support. Oh I was gosh. born and raised in, in Chiclayo, in the north of Peru. It's in a little town called Pimentel. 
I grew up, uh, you know, smelling my mom's cooking in the pot every morning, watching her, you know, dealing and talking with the fishermen, bringing fresh food every day. So I, I would say that that's where my culinary inspiration started. And like, what were some of the classic Peruvian, like, what are some dishes that remind you of home? Because I obviously have some that remind me of my Peruvian kitchen, you know, what my parents cook, but mine is through a lens of a first generation American. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my family's from Lima and you get, you're from Chiclayo. So what did that yes, look like? For yes. You? Well, I was born uh, and raised in Chiclayo, but when I was a teenager, I moved to, to Lima and well, anywhere in Peru, honestly, no matter where you are located, you're always going to be able to have the joy of eating the best food ever. No. So for me, uh, arroz con pollo, which is a super homey and easy dish, for me is home. No, every bite of it, and uh, ceviche, of course. Uh, I love ceviche in any way, shape, or form, and the impactful meaning that it has for all our for our Peruvian brothers and sisters. No, and it's crazy how you can enjoy this dish in every region. You know how Peru has mountains. You have the jungle and you have the coast and people will think that because uh, we have we are in the coast, only in the coast you will eat ceviche, but you go in the mountains and you eat an amazing salmon or trout ceviche and same with in the jungle, right? You can eat the paiche with river fish and it's just incredible how pride Peruvians are in particular with this dish. There is actually even a holiday in Peru and a ceviche day, <laughs> so it's insane. Yeah. Ceviche Day. When is Ceviche Day? Should we celebrate? I, I think it's June 28th. So next year we'll have to make another podcast and eat at the same time. We'll, be doing this. <laughs> we'll have to do it from your restaurant. We'll have to do it from your restaurant. There, oh, you know what? You guys come to Artesano and that would be even better. Amazing. So you really obviously have so much passion when you're talking about Peruvian cuisine. So how old were you when you moved to the U.S.? Like how... I guess strong is that are these roots in you know what you're doing mm-hmm. every day here? Yes. Well, I moved here when I was 25, so mm-hmm. not too long ago, and I moved uh, to California first, and then to Florida, and I'm I'm here in the in, in New York. No, so my roots are very, 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 you know, rooted to Peru and. Um, Everything, my memories, my inspiration, you know, my tradition, everything uh, that I really put in every plate is like an extension of me, you know, and 100% comes from most of my inspiration from Peru. But as I always said, uh, Peruvian cuisine has uh, too many mixtures during the entire story. No, we have uh, the fortune to be mixed with Italian cuisine, Chinese cuisine, Spaniel cuisine. So that's why he's um, it, just born a, a super crazy, unique uh, gastronomy, you know? And it doesn't stop now. It keeps evolution and it will continue to happen forever, no? Like, I mean, the, uh, right now we have a massive um, population of Venezuelans in living in Peru, especially in Lima, over 2 million in the last three, four years. So what's going to happen right there? Peruvians are going to marry Venezuelans, and now the arepas are going to be filled with lomo saltado, and that's going to be a Peruvian dish, you know? That's not a Venezuelan <laughs> Peruvian. So, you know, exactly, and that's hap- it's going to keep happening, and it's not about, oh, it's not, a, 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 you know, the identity. It's the new identity. 
everything keeps evolution, you know, keep moving forward. And we have to be open mind. We have to be inclusive. We have to be receptive and, you know, and embrace the change, of course, respecting the tradition, the roots. But I mean, it's okay, you know, there's no rules in the kitchen. There is no, it's this way, it's not that way. There's your way and people will like your way or will like the other way. But it's nice to have options and just, you know, figure out what's better for you, right? A hundred percent. I mean, I talk about this all the time when I'm explaining Peruvian cuisine, you know, to, to my friends and to my family and stuff, where it's like, there's so many influences that, you know, it it's not... It's not like in compartmentalized. It's not just like Japanese Peruvian, you know, fusion or Jap- or Chinese Peruvian. It's Chifa, and it's all underneath this big umbrella of Peruvian gastronomy, which is beautiful. Um, and I'm excited to see where it, where it's going with your new restaurant. Um, what are you excited to like bring to the table and like bring you know introduce to Peruvian gastronomy? Yes, I'm um, definitely, as I said, uh, taking inspiration from my roots. Like I can give you a little bit of uh, for the menu. Um, we're going to have a, a duck rice that is going to be inspired in Chiclayo. So we're going to, as I said, um, we're going to like mix traditional Peruvian flavor with modern techniques. So we're going to do like a risotto. Uh, the confit uh, duck leg and I'm going to sous vide the magret of the duck so it's going to be just uh, you know a celebration of of life and fusion and everything so I'm very excited I'm very very excited to to put all this you know training and knowledge and inspiration and feel very blessed to have you know an amazing team that is supporting my vision and yeah I can't wait to show New York City you know what's going on in Artesano and open the door for everybody. It's, it's amazing. It's like a dream come true, guys. I'm so excited for you. I'm like, I'm getting very hungry already. So full disclosure, I mean, since I've been <laughs> friends with Andrea, I have learned so much more about Peruvian cuisine and all of the different ways that it's fused with other cultures like she was talking about. But would you say that, you know, it's not – I mean, in my experience, it's not super well known. You know, it's not super, you know, common for people to have a strong understanding of Peruvian cuisine and, mm-hmm. you know, those types of fusions. So is that important for you to kind of bring that knowledge to more people? Or is that part of your mission there? Or how important is that to you? Definitely. My mission is to spread the diversity and culture of Peruvian cuisine in general. Right, so gastronomy is an important part of it, and sometimes uh, I I actually think that Peruvian cuisine is well known, uh, but for people that are really foodies and understand what the, the potential of this amazing cuisine, so mm-hmm. the majority of the people has a wrong concept about uh, what Peruvian cuisine is. That is. Well, I understand, like, it could be that too. It could be many things, right? It's too many of these, too, only potatoes. Yeah, we have 3,500 types of potatoes, but we have more than that. And right now, uh, because of these uh, cultures that are mixed with ours, uh, we are, I think that we're in a level of, of cuisine that is very important. And, and the people are noticing that. Like, as Andrea just mentioned, a very popular right now, the Japanese Peruvian fusion that is called Nikkei. And mm-hmm. this actually the perfect representation of what the actual Peruvian ceviche means today. No, before, um, we used to, 
wait hours before we eat the ceviche, right? We used to use like sour orange or tumbo or even the lime juice, put it in a bowl with the fishes and let it sit for hours and eat it for lunch, you know? Right now, uh, just the finesse of the Japanese touch, just the understanding of the importance of how to appreciate the freshness of the, the protein, right? How fresh is the, 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 the fish? You want to eat it raw. You want to appreciate that. You want to just have the right elements, the right textures to make the whole combo. So that is new. Like the way we eat ceviche right now is not more than 50 years. It's very new, like eating like sashimi style, having the raw fish, the tiger's milk that is a citrus-based sauce that is going to just complement and put everything together. No, so absolutely, uh, my mission is to show that using the the amazing Peruvian ingredients that we're lucky to grow in, in our perfect weather, perfect soil. And now with this modern and contemporary world, we're able to bring most of these ingredients easily here to anywhere and put it in the plate with, uh, you know, uh, local seasonal always ingredients anything is possible. So yeah, very excited to try to, I hope we can, with my team, um, show that, you know, in, in every plate, every day. Amazing. Rodrigo, question for sourcing. I guess I'm going to ask, it's like, we know that Aji Amarillo is like at the center of Peruvian cuisine, right? I have to ask, like, where are you sourcing Aji Amarillo here in the city? Because I seem to only be able to find it like either in paste form or powdered. So I'm so curious. Oh, I know, right? It's, it's, it's very difficult. Well, I tell you a secret. I I work very close with a farm in in Florida that they got uh, seeds from me, actually, one year ago. And they've been uh, growing rocoto, aji amarillo, guacatay, not massively, but in a very decent amount. And they're... Um, so they're growing, they have a lot of fresh uh, Aji Amarillo product and they're going to be sending it to me uh, like every other week. So it's a, an amazing work that is happening from two years ago, no? Yeah, so what, this, what this amazing forethought. Yeah, so uh, I mean, don't worry, Andre, I got you. When I get some fresh stuff, uh, I'll, I'll save a few pounds for you. But that's what it matters, right? Like people... Sometimes when they sit down and eat a plate, they they don't really understand that everything starts from the soil, you know, from the seed. Like for me to have this product is a relationship that I build with my friend and, you know, farm farmer that has this amazing mi mission. And we work together that without him, it would be hard or probably impossible, you know, just because of my location. So that's why I think it's very important to be sustainable in the cycle of, you know, waiting for the right season, just getting what is available and and just make the product shine itself, no? Because it's, it's amazing. Right now you go and you eat a, a tomato that is perfectly ripe. There is actually not much to do with it, you know, just eat it. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the goal for us as a cooks, just to make the product shine you know, and do something creative with it. And, and that's about it. Andre, can you tell people who don't know what aji amarillo is? So aji amarillo is a Peruvian pepper that's uh, yellow. It's about three to four centimeters in length. It turns um, 
bright, bright orange, like when it's ripe. And it's somewhere between like the spice level of a jalapeno and a, and a serrano, maybe even somewhere with, close to a habanero. Would you agree, Rodrigo? Yeah. Hey, you're very good. Are you reading something? or? <laughs> <Just Yeah. kidding. laughs> I don't think you understand how many times I've given this specific spiel of what is ají amarillo? No, so. <laughs> I feel you, I feel you. Yeah, and as Andrea said, it's very nice that so we use a lot of peppers as a base, no? and the gemarillo in particular, oh my God, it's like the star of many dishes, right? The causa you can use as a base and use it for many stews or tiraditos or anything you really want for it. And so, yeah, we, it's we so love What I love about it is that it's not just a ton of heat, you know, it's spicy, yes, but it's got a lot of really good flavor mm -hmm. that sometimes you don't get with some other chilies. That's true. Love, love the gemarillos. By far... One of my top four probably favorite peppers in Peru. Oh, top four favorite peppers? You have <laughs> top four <laughs> Peruvian peppers. I was like about to say, I thought you were going to say it was your top four favorite food. No, top four yeah, Peruvian no. peppers. Peruvian peppers, there you so, go. So I guess there's a lot of peppers in Peru. And I know you said there was like, what, th th 4,000 types of potatoes? Yeah, like 3,500 type of potatoes. It's unreal. It's, yeah, it's and then crazy. there's a whole other variety of grains and legumes and beans. It, the biodiversity in Peru is truly incredible. Um, and it, I'm so excited to see like what everything that you guys are going to you know come to, together with, with uh, artesano, so... How is yes. that possible? Like, how? Why is it so much more biodiverse there than in other? You know what we're used to. Two things: is the weather and the soil. It's it's just that, no, the altitude, the soil, and the soil having is is pure, no. There is not there is like an ancestral wave of our our uh, agriculture back in Peru, like you really, you don't even have to put organic, everything is organic over there. Everything is the way that it should be, you know, you don't have to worry about pesticides or this and that. It's, it's, it's a bless. It's a very generous land. So yeah, we have, oof, the tubers in Peru are unreal. Colors, shapes, it's like art. My gosh. And isn't there a bunch of different types of corn from there too? Yes, corns too, they're not wrong. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm, not, I'm so proud over here, like knowing that you can like recall these facts just from us being friends. <laughs> no, oh absolutely. my gosh, I know. Yeah, she's been training me. Yeah, like now I know all about aji amarillo, and she taught me about chicha morada and all these other things. And pisco, I, you know pisco pretty well. Yeah, she's got me drinking all kinds of pisco sours. So Perfect. I am, I'm drinking the Kool Aid, guys. Don't you worry. I'm drinking <laughs> Kool Aid. That's so funny. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's like, I mean, what you guys are talking about with it being such like a, an exciting dining experience. Like, I mean, I've been lucky to, you know, go with Andrea to some, you know, really awesome Peruvian restaurants in the city and be able to try some of these things. And I'm like, you guys aren't, you guys aren't just saying this because you're from there. Like it is actually <laughs> like, in my opinion, just like really, really good. Like it's what it's probably my top two, top three favorite cuisines right now. And I feel like the more people are exposed to it, the more that they'll see that too, because it's kind of just objectively delicious food. I mean, I feel like that's, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even saying that just because I'm with you guys and I feel like you're going to bully me. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's just objectively true. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Mm -hmm. 
818 Tequila creates their tequila using traditional methods at a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. 818 is created from fully matured blue agave from the Los Altos and Valles regions of tequila. It is then slow-cooked for over 30 hours, extracted using traditional Tejona wheels, distilled twice in copper pot stills, and aged in American and French oak barrels. Their tequilas have received over 25 blind-tasting awards. They strive for excellence in every sip. 818's Blanco is sweet and smooth, with undertones of tropical and citrus fruits. Their reposado is soft and balanced, with notes of caramel and vanilla. And their añejo is elegant and velvety, with crisp herbal notes and a warm vanilla finish. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their tequila and find it near you. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume. Drink responsibly. So, Rodrigo, I want to know, I mean, when, I know we kind of talked a little bit about, like, the flavors that you grew up with, but when did you start cooking and having, like, a passion for getting in the kitchen? So, to be very honest with you, I... I decided to become a professional chef not that early. I was like 18, 19 when I was... Well, first of all, I always cooked since I was a child. I always liked to cook with my mom, with my friends and family, always hosting little parties in my house, and I always volunteered for being the one, uh, you know, cooking and putting my hands on. Um, but I went through different stages, to be honest. I, I studied acting first. When I was like 17 until 19, I, I did a little bit of acting back in Peru. And I found myself in this, you know, kind of like a broke situation where I wanted money. I was young. I wanted to go out. So I started modeling. Not because I wanted it. It's because my friend was one day, hey, you want to come with me? And there's somebody they need. And, you know, you could be perfect for this and that. Like, no, no way, bro. Like, okay. Let's do it. So we went for it. Um, we start, you know, I start working as a model and an actor. But I always had this passion of cooking in me. And I keep doing my thing, right? Cooking, but not like that often because I was a little like busy with that. And then I keep moving into my modeling career and I become like Mr. Peru. and went to Mr. World to represent Peru. Really? And I went to the top 10 in London. <laughs> Oh yeah, my god! Right? You know, like, like, like what? <laughs> yeah, seriously, I was um, 2012. 2012, I went Mr. Peru, went to Mr. World, and got the finalist. Uh, it was a cool experience. But I mean, as I said, this happened. No me planning it or wanted it. Kind of like just I went with it. So I was 19, and it was okay. You know what? This is my moment where either I go all in and give myself the opportunity to do what I'm really passionate about, or I just, you know, keep doing what I'm doing right now. That I'm not unhappy, but it's not, I don't see myself in five years, you know, keep doing this. I was like, there's nothing wrong with it. I actually still doing it. I work for, for Polo, and we have some shooting sometimes, but that's just like for fun. It's like a side gig, right? Mm -hmm. But but I decided to do giving myself an opportunity and my family was like, you crazy, don't do not do it, you know, whatever. But, you know, this like every other story. 
and I decided to do it. So when I wanted to work, before I went to culinary school, I I wanted to make sure that I was really what I wanted to do because one thing is cooking, you know, at home and one thing is cooking in a professional kitchen. So I went to knock doors just to work for free. I didn't care about the money. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted to learn and find myself. So after trying like four times because nobody wanted to hire somebody that quote unquote doesn't have experience because I didn't have a resume to prove, oh, I work here. I work with this guy or with the other guy. And like, I know I'm good at it because I've been doing it. So just give me a shot. Nobody. Finally, somebody did. And I loved it. Since the second one, I crossed the door of the kitchen and I hear the tickets coming in and the rush (laughs) and the adrenaline and the pressure. I was like, oh my God, this is my thing, you know? And I was like, what can I do? Like, I was supposed to be there just for one hour and I literally start for lunch service, dinner service. I start the whole day. I fall in love instantly. I came back the next day and I stay there for the following year. No, I get promoted. They start paying me. I learn a lot, blah, blah, blah. So I got into the, I'm, I can get obsessed sometimes if I really into something. So this was what was for me. I dream, eat and sleep cooking. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't uh, do this before, this and that. So I started to don't accept any modeling gig because I didn't have time because you know how kitchen goes. You're there and especially if you're like in the cook level, you are there all day, especially in Peru. So that's what I, I didn't care. So I was just, just cooking, cooking, cooking. And then I went to culinary school in Le Cordon Bleu in Lima. And while I was studying, I keep working in the kitchen. So I never stopped, you know, so I had like job, I'm full-time studying, but I was so happy that for me it was easy because I was enjoying it every moment, every second of it. So I was into, I need to learn, I need to learn, I need to learn, I want more, I want more. So I started reading, keep working. And then after working in Lima for a few years, I decided that I, I had so much of Peruvian in me, but I wanted to see the world, like more culture, more cuisine, more techniques, different things outside Peruvian food. So that way I can probably in the middle find myself and combine all this with Peruvian food, no? Like to have my own vision of it. So I went to California. I started working in the Four Seasons and in the French French, uh, restaurant at the same time. So I have two jobs and I was all day cooking. Six in the morning, 11 p.m. every single day. I kind of like get a little obsessive and then I move uh, to other restaurants until I said, okay, you know what? I want to work Michelin star restaurant because I really enjoy the fine dining world, you know, because I, I, I we're going to talk a little bit more about it because this is where we're trying to go with artisano, but the fine dining world is more than amazing food. It's an experience, right? From the moment you cross the door, from the moment you talk with the host until you sit down, the temper of the restaurant, the temper of the whole restaurant, the music, the timing, it's just a symphony. It's like a Broadway. I always took with my team. I said, this is a Broadway show. How many months does a team in Broadway perform before go to the public? It's not all about the actor. It's about the guy that has the light and look at the actor, the guy that opened the thing, that bring the next stage. Everything is synchronized. There's no room and space for mistake. And this is what we want to do. Anyways, I went a little far down there. <laughs> so okay. then, uh, we um 
So I went to this Michelin restaurant called Madera that is inside a, a luxury hotel in Menlo Park called Rosewood Sand Hill. That was really um, like the first Michelin restaurant I wore. It was a spectacular experience. Oh my God. It's crazy when you work in this type of kitchen where they have a basically unlimited budget because, you know, it's a hotel, so it's not just a restaurant. And there was like, oh my God, I can't even say it. Like 13 cooks, five sous chef, three chef de cuisine, like put, forget it. Like a whole team, you can do anything, right? And you have all the toys, all the equipment that you need. So that was for me more like a half a, and it was an open kitchen like literally in the middle of the restaurant. So there is not like I touch my hair, I sneeze, I do this. Everything had it to be very good, perfect. So that's where my standards really went higher and higher and higher and higher. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So then I also wanted to, I had that experience and I said, okay, I want to go to a Michelin restaurant, but I want to go to a Michelin restaurant that has a super small team, like a homey place that made it. I don't know how, because that's a different story, right? You have a Michelin restaurant that they have $2 million budget just to buy equipment and hire people. But then you have a Michelin restaurant that is only five cooks and is inside an old house. How do they, what is the difference? Like, what is the system? Like, you don't know where you want to be, where you want to run your own show. Maybe you will have an investor that will put the money for it and you're good to go, right? But maybe it's almost everything from yourself. So you have to be prepared. So I wanted to to have that experience. So I was also to this Michelin restaurant called Adega in San Jose. It was a fine dining Portuguese cuisine. Mm. And I learned how to cook the best octopus I'd ever year eat in my entire life. was an amazing experience. Super hard, though. It, we barely eat for the staff. We were, like, so overworked because of the mm. amount of... The, the chef that I respect and love, say hi to Chef David Costa, he's my friend, but he's crazy, you know? So the cooks were scared of him. So they quick, very, very, very fast. And they, like, hey, bro, you have to relax, man, because if you have no people. Then we're fucked, you know? So, mm-hmm. and then the thing keep going like that. So after a few time, we got the start and everything. I learned what I had to learn. And, okay, man, yeah, yeah, I'm burning out here. <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> you know, so, but it was fun. It was fun. While all this is happening, I wanted to test myself. And I wanted to put myself out and do my own dinners. So what I used to do is in, in San Francisco, there is a very uh, strong uh, culture of pop-ups experience. So I decided to start hosting tasting menus on my own on Saturdays in San Francisco. So I I talked with this company called Eat Feasley, the then Chef Feeds bought Eat Feasley and now TasteMate bought Chef Feed. But uh, anyways... So at that moment, what these guys do is you know, they basically provide the chef everything, the space, you know, the silverware, you just need to host it, the event, sell the tickets, and they get a percentage of it. I'm sure this is popular right now here. I've been looking in New York. There's, they're doing it a lot. Um, but at that moment, for me, it was like an opportunity to start with no investment, right? To show up, try my vision, see how people react. So we used to do it. Um, the first event, I remember... Uh, we hosted. We were super uh, happy about it. I met a Peruvian in the first season that turned to be my business partner at that time. He's the same guy that we opened a space in California. But um, we didn't know anything about 
how to promote the event. And we were, I had a full-time job in the kitchen. I was literally slammed. And on top of that, I had it to prepare for these events now, right? So I was like basically no time to marketing or create content or anything. That for me, that was not even an option. So we show up and there was only, in, because you can see the reservation, two people, only two people, man. Oh, and my no. business partner was like, oh my God, man, we're not going to go all the way to San Francisco to do a tasting menu of nine courses for two people. Let's just cancel. It's cheaper not to go. But I was like, no way we're going to cancel. These two people have trust in what we want to do. And we're going to respect and honor that. And we're going to go and we're going to do it, you know? So we went, we did it. They loved us. And these two people, one of them hired us for a party of 100 people two weeks from there for a birthday party. And we make a ton of money. So, you know, that's, those are little rewards that life gives you because life puts you in situations sometimes where you try yourself, where you test your temper, where you test your character and your vision. And it makes you say, okay, is this really what you want to do? Well, let's be consequent what you think, right? If this is what you say you want to do, you're going to quit just like that in the first try? That's not me, you know? I'm not going to do that shit. So it pay off. So I said, we're going to keep doing this. So every Saturday, every fourth Saturday of the month, we host a tasting menu. Then 20 people show up. The next one was amazing. The next, the third one was sold out. And then from doing it once a month, we start doing it twice a month. Then every Saturday in San Francisco, we all sold out. And then was twice a Saturday. So we did two seatings, 5 to 7.30 and 7.30 to 10, second seating. We were booked all the time in advance, every time. So you see, it's more like I'm a stronger belief that consistency beats talent every time, no matter how, no matter who said it is wrong, because you are there every day. You show up in the days that you don't feel like doing it. You do your work and the thing will come. It will pay off. It will happen. And it's crazy because um, after doing all this, and um, one of my investors from here for the restaurant uh, happened to try my food in California. You see what I'm saying? And now we connected, and but we connected what? Three years after, you know? And, and here we are. So that's, it's, it's very inspiring, you know? And always my, my friends tell me something, hey, you want to do this? I'm like, but I don't know, bro, just start. Some people, people want to have all the answers all the time before do something. You don't have to have all the answers. You have to push the press button and figure it out. Of course, doing the minimal research, but you, if you know, you're going to get fear and fear paralyze you and you're not going to go anywhere. Anyways, so yeah, after cooking, we opened, uh, we were doing the tasting menus, working in fine dining restaurants. My body was uh, telling me you have to slow down because it's been a few years of nonstop and it was getting a little stressed and then I wanted to feel like I was in this position where I'm not enjoying what I'm doing because when you're like this, you cut your creativity, you're just an automatic robot and that's not good. So I decided to take a break for a couple months and just do my tasting menus and no work uh, in any restaurant. So when that happened, because you know, to be honest, my dream was to have a fine dining restaurant in California at that moment, but then the budget was insanely expensive and we didn't have any investors. So all these dinners that we did, we didn't pay ourselves any single penny. So everything, we saved it. We just paid the waiters, the servers, the cooks that helped us for the events, but we pay save everything. So we saved enough to open just a little place, you know, in 
downtown San Jose in California. But because the budget wasn't that big, I wanted to do just a casual, homey-style Peruvian food that probably this will, you know, generate more money. And then with that restaurant, we'll uh, found the fine dining restaurant in a couple of years. That's kind of like my goal. So we opened a homey-style Peruvian restaurant in downtown San Jose. And literally a few months after that we opened, the pandemic started hitting. And I got a, an investor that said, I want to buy it. And I was like, you know what? I think I need a change. So I, I went for it. I sell my part. And I moved to Florida and I started working uh, for NBA player. I was the NBA for private chef of Norman Powell uh, from the Raptors, also for Pascal Siakam, also for the Raptors. I cook for a couple of uh, baseball, basketball players too. So yeah, I had a, I tried a different, different type of culinary experience, but I always wanted to, that's just re a reminder that I know, you know what, I need to keep going to the fine 90 line. This is my thing. This is what I really enjoy the most. So yeah, I start hosting my events in Florida again. Um, this time with all this experience that I had in the past, I just had sold out every single event since then, every other Saturday in St. Petersburg. Um, yeah, I start creating content too because I also enjoy and love teaching. So I think the combined cook cooking that is you know my favorite plus teaching i mean perfect combo teaching how to cook giving some recipes i used to host online cooking classes as well and then is where i connect with my business partners and they tell me that they have a a nice project about uh artesano was not gonna be a peruvian uh, restaurant at the beginning they wanted to do latin cuisine and they were like what is that even mean so you want to do food from around the whole South America. Yeah, we're going to do like Latin cuisine. You're like, no, guys, listen, I respect that. That's cool. But I'm Peruvian. And if you guys want me to be in the project, it has to be 100% Peruvian food. And I have to have 100% control in any decision happening in the kitchen. So after uh, some conversations, they agree. Uh, here we are, guys, living in the Big Apple. Oh my gosh, what a what a roller coaster ride. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. My goodness. So this thank you for the uh for the whole breakdown and the life lessons. Very important. <laughs> Very important information across the board, but I mean, it's a crazy story how kind of that all panned out and I think that one thing you mentioned really stuck out to me, which is how amongst all these crazy like twists and turns of your pop-ups and the restaurant opening and everything you had going on, you you really found it important to also share your your knowledge and your culture with, you know, the public by creating content. So I I guess I want to ask you a little bit more about that and like how important it is for you to share that with people who maybe don't know as much about Peruvian cuisine and, you know, why amongst all the million things you have going on, why that's still a priority for you to kind of make that content for the internet and share it with people who don't have a chance to come to your restaurants. Absolutely. As I said earlier, one of my passion is also teaching and what a better way of getting the attention of followers that are in their phone and just creating, you know, good content. And I put a lot of dedication and care into it, to be honest. I'm not an expert by any means. I'm not a professional videographer. But I do the best I can, and I really enjoy doing it. 
And it's also a, a nice way, no, to to show culture, to show Peruvian food, and show also that sometimes it, it can be simple, easy, and delicious, no. That's kind of like what I do: easy recipes, nothing crazy. Try to educate to sometimes about you know some myth about like oils and stuff. But uh, yeah, for me, it's very important uh, creating the content just to be a, a way of sharing my culture. Like astronomy, people that are in my country and uh, doesn't have the opportunity to be here, you know, keep them updated of what's going on. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one of my priorities, uh, generating culinary content about Peruvian food through my my Instagram account and TikTok. And it's giving me the opportunity to meet a lot of an amazing people, to be honest, like Andrea, for example, and many other content creators. So definitely not stopping doing that. Oh, thank you so much, Rodrigo. I mean, I will say that like your content actually has been like a resource for me because, you know, I only know what food has been introduced to me at my home, like what my parents have cooked for me, what my family has cooked for me, you know, but also like creating content online has allowed me to at least learn from other people also like how other people in their homes do it. And it's been really rewarding to kind of connect with other Peruvians. Um, but I've used your recipes as a resource as, so like, how do I, where do I even start? <laughs> you know? So I, I, you know, thank you. Of course. Anytime we're friends, we're buddies now. I'm here oh, in yeah. the city. I have to make some content together, you know, throw some ceviche over there with some tiger's milk. Man, nah. Man, nah. <laughs> and the pisco. So. There you go. Well, Love now it. I'm jealous. What the hell? You can <laughs> get that, Alexa. No worries. Let's do it. It's perfect yeah, weather you know, you know, I'll be back, obviously. I just, Rodrigo, I just got back from New York, like, literally last night. I packed for four days is how long I was supposed to come, and I stayed for 12. So let's see how our trips go, though. So Yeah, I'll definitely be back. Yeah. But, Rodrigo, oh, my gosh, it was such a pleasure having you, and thank you so much for telling so much of your story and for sharing that with us and for kind of looping us into the excitement with your with your new restaurant. And, you know, for those who didn't catch it, um, Rodrigo's new restaurant is called Artesano, and it should be opening in New York City very soon, fingers crossed. And so, yeah, check out Rodrigo's page, Rodrigo Fernandini, and then Artesano NY for kind of the latest updates on when the actual restaurant's opening. And yeah, get your get your hands on some of that those mouthwatering dishes that he's been talking about. I know I'm in the mood for I'm in the mood for Peruvian food now that we've been talking about it the whole time. <laughs> so I'm oh super God, excited so funny. for you to open. <laughs> yeah, guys. Yeah, before I go, I just wanted to say two things. Number one, uh, or three things. Number one, thank you so much for the opportunity for giving me the space to share a little bit more about my story and where we come from. And that's to remind you guys that Artesano is going to be a fine dining Peruvian cuisine experience. Uh, we're focusing on the whole experience, not only in the food, which of course is going to be amazing, but the drinks, the environment, like we want to make you feel like it's, you know, a one of a kind and one for the books experience. So very excited for you guys to start booking your reservation very shortly and nothing. That's it. Thank you very much. And everybody that is listening to there, I want to start a project, wants to start anything, go for it, do it, don't think about it, don't listen to anybody, the answer is inside you, if you feel that you can do it, that's 50% of the accomplish of the goal, so just go for it and do your thing, manna. Amen. Amen.
What does Magna mean? You guys, you haven't taught me that yet, Andrea. Yeah, well, you guys, yeah. <laughs> what is that's Magna a Rodrigo thing. That's in his that's videos. A, <laughs> that's a, a thing. It's like a, I have two, two words that I do in my videos. Buenos. That is oh, a we beer. needed it. That is, a, you know, when it's delicious, there's like a Peruvian slant to saying amazing, good. And Magna is like, that's it. Let's do it. Let's get it. Magna. Okay. All right. No, I'm, in. Like I'm gonna use that now. I'm gonna use it. I'm excited. I've just been pretending to be Peruvian this whole time, so I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Rodrigo, and thank you so much, Andrea, for making me feel like an honorary Peruvian for the day and for making all of us hungry for Peruvian food and for sharing so much about that culture. I appreciate both of you. Thank you. Appreciate oh you. Well, thanks, Max. Happy to do it anytime. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.